The following program contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Corn on the Macabre. I'm the hysterical Katie Adkins. <laughs> and I'm the slightly funny Kelly Reed. And by hysterical, I don't mean funny. I mean hysteria. Oh, well... <laughs> That's why I did my makeup like this. It has, like, you guys are listening and you can't see, but I have mascara tears running down my face. I was very inspired because most of my asylum researched end up being about female hysteria. Oh. Yeah. So I'm going to be talking about a lot about that on my end. And apparently I'll be researching on the spot bedlam because I wish I had done that sooner. <laughs> Chat just brought it up, and now I'm Dude, mad. If it makes you feel any better, it's I spent like two hours looking for info on this asylum that I thought would be super fucking interesting, and it turns out it's all bullshit. And the only thing I can find out is that there's it's a bullshit haunted story, and I can't even find the legit horror stories about it. There's just a movie that came out. So, what? all right, what's the yeah? Movie? So that sucks. Yeah, so there's this um, psychiatric hospital that was abandoned in um, Guangzhou Si. I'm probably saying that ter- terribly, but it's Where in South it? Korea. Oh, South Korea. Yeah, and it's called the Gonjium, uh Psychiatric Hospital. <laughs> they made a movie out of it because it's really freaky to look at. Like, it basically just got abandoned, and there's still, like, tables and um, gowns and doctor's robes or whatever in there so it's spooky to look at and people go and stay the night there as like double dog dude. like a test yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's like you can break in through like a hole in the fence and then you walk up and um, people had broken down the front door already getting in so there's only like holes and stuff through the glass there that you can get through white coats that's what I was looking for thank you Ruben <laughs> like the robes I don't know oh, anyway robes I was like well, you know but it's, on the, it's on the tip of your tongue you know like that creamy stuff that goes on waffles and pancakes you know waffle juice it's like one of those kind of moments uh what's but it anyway. called is it, is it called dysphagia or uh, it's aphasia when you forget words yeah words. I'm just like what is it um but anyway I was looking at stories about this place and it was talking about how it shut down just abruptly. It opened in the 90s and then, I don't know, it just shut down. And they were saying at first it was because all these dead bodies kept showing up, like patients kept dying. And they blamed it on the guy who owned uh, the psych hospital because the director uh, had supposedly hung himself in this room, I think it was 402 or 406, and it was claimed that he was possessed beforehand. And he so he jumped out and then people kept dis- disappearing or kept dying in the psych hospital. And so the owner just up and left and everybody thought that he was one that killed these patients and that so many had died and that families came looking for him. And so he just straight up left and went to America. But come to find out that's all bullshit. <laughs> the guy who owned the place just left for America before it shut down. Um, and the director didn't kill himself. He was at like a hos- another hospital a few months later, but basically sanitation just wasn't keeping up with their shit. And so that's why they had to close down. So not haunted, 
completely bullshit, but I still want to see the movie because apparently it's super good and it's shot in like a quarantine style. Where you were going with that, I thought you were going to say he was just bad at his job and everyone just died. Whoa, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even that would have been a better story than like, no, never mind. It was just the sewage, which like it still sucks because it did kill people. Like Wait, the sanitation so- killed people. Oh, oh, okay. So it was like people were getting sepsis and stuff from the hospital. Yeah. So do we have any asylum stories of our own? I don't think I do. At least uh, not ones that are fun. <laughs> I didn't know you had any at all, but I well, mean. I didn't go to an asylum, but I did have a friend who was placed in their care for, I mean, if we're being honest, teenage bullshit, like yep. boy stuff. Boy and- stuff? Like they boy were stuff. like it was a girl crazy about boys, or it was like a yeah. boy doing boy stuff. Okay, no, it was it was a girl who was just like, it really got. She was trying to like threaten, basically, is what it sounded like. Mm. Um, but she like took too many pills. There was like, um, like a lot of Advil, and freaked her mom out, and so she got committed for a little bit. Wow, you know you're a teenager when your form of pill suicide is with Advil, as dark as that is. Yeah, but it was oh, she wasn't even trying to commit suicide. She was just trying to get attention, and this guy was kind of a dick. And then, you know, surprise, surprise, like, her mom called the guy and was like, hey, just so you know, she's in the hospital. And he was like, okay, well, can you tell her I don't want to see her anymore? Like, I want to break up because this is crazy. And so, yeah. It was a whole thing. Damn, son. Okay. Yeah. He's like, I don't fuck with that. Yeah, he's like, I'm Heck. I'm done with this. <laughs> My stories are like, it's funny. I know people who were sent to rehab facilities and asylums who had like no need to at all because it was high school bullshit. Because I, I knew at least three or four kids one of which was my friend in high school who were sent to like a rehab facility. We have this place here in Atlanta that I know a lot of kids went to called Peachford. And it was kind of like a place. Gotta have a peach in there. (laughs) I know, I know. But it's like troubled kids, both struggling with mental issues and drugs go to. So it was like a combination rehab, mentally ill facility, which, like, I don't know why you want to mix those two, but okay. And they all went for shit like weed. Like, their parents found out they smoked Mm. pot one time, and we're like, oh, my God, we're sending you to Peachford. (laughs) Right. And um, Yeah, we definitely had a place like that in Jacksonville, too. Oh, yeah. And so what's stupid is, like, these kids would go in for weed and then come out coke addicts. Because, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, that's the only really fucked up job, part. Parents. Yeah, and so that's that's what happened to my really good friend was she went in because she smoked weed and then came out befriending so many druggies. And after that, she was all about trying new drugs. And I'm just like, you would have no exposure to any of this if your parents had never fucking sent you here. Rehab's like, a hell is, of a drug. This is fucking ridiculous. But yeah, like, she ended up, like, dating this, like, ex-heroin addict and, like, tried meth just cuz and, like, became really into hallucinogens, like, LSD and stuff. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is yeah. so different from what you used to do. It used to be very casual with weed. It was definitely a time, but I personally have never been in one. Yet. Yes. <laughs> let's not, let's yeah. not talk about that. 
This is a very dark subject. It is. It is. Especially with like all the things that have happened in asylum. So I, um, I did end up finding an asylum that was actually haunted. Okay. Um, so it is the Marlboro Psychiatric Hospital. Is it named after the cigarettes? Uh, no, no. Marlboro? But you, that was my, yeah, that was my first thought too, because it's literally spelled like that. But maybe cigarettes are named after it. It was in the, Mar- uh, the Marlboro Township in New Jersey, um, which opened in 1931. It was built on land that was once a pig slaughterhouse. Ew. They basically, like, bought this guy out and his pig slaughterhouse were just like, we're going to build a psych hospital here. Um, so it's already off to, like, a pretty grim start. But from the beginning, there were rumors that the staff mistreated almost all of the 800 pa- patients that it held at any given time. And there were stories of hearing screams from its walls or seeing patients wandering about outside unattended, even in freezing cold conditions. Um, and one patient was even died in that way. Like oh they were God. just walking around outside in the freezing cold and nobody was taking care of them and they died out there. And apparently that happened relatively often. They're saying that there was a number of deaths that, that took place there. Oh. So cigarette, cigarette psych hospital. <laughs> the cigarette psych hospital. <laughs> that's, that's what we'll call it. Um, Cause that's much easier to say than Marlboro. Marlboro. Just feel like a murloc whenever I try to say <laughs> So in addition to the estimated dozens of patients who died there over the years due to mistreatment, in the 70s, the hospital saw a bout of food poisoning, which killed several people. And then by 1980, the death toll of this part of this uh, psych hospital bleh, was so big that the there was even a private cemetery for the hospital built on the grounds holding 924 marked graves and then who knows how many unmarked ones. They didn't want to give the bodies to science? I, I guess not. I just or maybe, they, maybe they had too many and they had an overflow. Um, but it was said that close to 1,500 people died there over the years of operation. And there were even more that just disappeared without a trace. So oh, yeah. maybe some were getting buried and some weren't. So some it was being experimented on, like, like American Horror Story Asylum. Exactly. I wouldn't rule it out because it was the 1930s. Well, uh, I guess at this point it's 1980s, and people were fucking wild in the 80s. Fuck wild. <laughs> Fuck wild. 30s to the 80s, not a great time. Got better, still not great. <laughs> So there were so many deaths and so many cases of mistreatment that eventually it prompted an investigation into the facility. The guy who headed it at the time was the state senator, Rich Cody. So Cody arranged an undercover operation with himself posing as a newly hired orderly. And this process already was bad because he put information on his fake resume that like marked him as a sex offender and he was still hired without question. (gasps) Yeah. Wow, that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. So he was like, what kind of people are working here? And found out pretty quickly. <laughs> Sex offenders. I mean, that's a good way. Yeah, it was a good way to find out. <clears throat> so on the inside, he uncovered that there was all kinds of patient abuse, filthy living and working conditions, misappropriations of funds and tax evasion and um, disregard for proper environmental procedures. 
um, as far as like disposing of chemicals and waste. It caused a Senate task force to be formed in 1994 for the purpose of looking further into these claims. And they finally wrote this in their report. The results of the investigation reveal a tableau of waste, fraud, thievery, and corruption in which the squandering of taxpayer dollars virtually has become business as usual at this institution. It was not a good place to be. So not long after that, the doors were shut for good in 1998. The remaining patients were relocated, but the graves stayed because... It'd probably be weird to dig up bodies, I guess, at that point. I mean, they're already buried. Like, why move it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so the land became overgrown and feral. The state wasn't quite sure what to do with it. And in the meantime, it became a ground zero for all kinds of hauntings and paranormal activity. There's this one story. It's the most popular one. Um, and it was tied to the place concerning a man who once lived at the slaughterhouse. The man was a he, farmer. Sorry, stop. Lived at the farm slaughterhouse? Yeah, so it's like, it's lore. It was like a paranormal activity thing that just surrounded, I mean, like it was built on the slaughterhouse. Like the guy got bought out. They built the slaughter, or they built the hospital on top of his slaughterhouse or what, what once was his slaughterhouse. And so there's a story, a paranormal story surrounding the guy who formerly lived there. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. The man was a farmer who they simply called Mr. Allen, who, according to the story, inherited the land from previous generations. And when the state came in to claim his land for the purpose of building their facility, Mr. Allen apparently put up a huge fight, doing everything in his power to make sure that the hospital was not built and even continuing to break into his own house long after it had been seized and locked up. So he did not want this place being built. He was just like, this is my land. I want it. I want to keep it. And he lost um, the story goes that he was arrested, but would not let it lie. And eventually he just went mad and ended up becoming a, ho- a patient at the very hospital he was trying to stop. Oh, so, no. Yeah. That makes yeah. me sad. But apparently he adjusted quite lo- well to life there and calmed considerably, whether that was due to you know him getting over it or just heavy medication, we don't know. Um, But it got to one point where he was kept under very minimal security until one day he just vanished without a trace. A manhunt was launched for the fugitive, but he was never found. And he was slowly just kind of forgotten about until weird things started happening around the hospital. So a few weeks after he disappeared, patients and hospital staff both began to complain of hearing what sounded like the squealing of pigs in the late night hours. But police called to the scene were never able to find a source for it. It escalated when one morning staff arrived when morning staff arriving at the hospital found a bloody carcass of or found multiple bloody carcasses of pigs just littering the area with a message scrawled in blood on the wall that says, I see you. A security guard was placed in the area to keep an eye on things that night, but in the morning, he was nowhere to be found. And later, a trail of blood was found leading to the old slaughterhouse freezer unit, which had still not been torn down yet. And within, they found the watchman hanging from a meat hook and a pig's head perched on top of his, the stump where his head used to be. This um, is straight out of a movie. What the fuck? Yeah. So that's what they're saying happened (laughs) but there's no evidence that mr allen ever even really existed he's become first and foremost among the cast of ghosts that are said to haunt the psychiatric hospital will often appear as a completely deranged madman often accompanied by the squealing of pigs and leaving messages and blood behind 
but they said that the sounds of squealing, screaming, and other less identifiable no noises are often reported from the property. And the apparitions of dead patients are also commonly seen as well as shadow figures. So okay. ghost hunters and thrill seekers and all those people love to go there. And then eventually in 2015, it was torn down to make space for a new park. But there's still like areas that are like just covered in vines, like little pieces of what used to be there. And people will sometimes like dig through the weeds and find crazy shit. I would just say though, if I owned an insane asylum and some crazy ass shit like that happened, I would absolutely cover it up and be like, he never existed. There's no evidence. Right? Like we're getting rid of all of that. That's bad for business. And then at the end of the day, they're like, well, it's my word against a bunch of crazy people. Yeah. I could see why they would want to cover that shit up if it was real. Because that is some straight horror movie shit. Like, they had just watched Saw before they did it or something. What I can think of is he really went fucking crazy and he was like, I'm going to get vengeance on these people. At what point is your rage considered being crazy? For example, if someone murdered someone and knows they murdered them and doesn't regret murdering them, in my opinion, that person is not crazy. They are a sane person who made a conscious choice and executed it. Yeah. But if you, like, murdered someone and didn't even realize or know you did it or did it because, like, you know, God told you to or, like, you thought that some crazy shit was going to happen to you if you didn't do it that, like, isn't real kind of a thing, then I'd be at like, what you're point a crazy though, person. So, but what, at what point does, like, the brutality of the murder turn to crazy? Because I feel like cutting off a guy's head and replacing it with a pig's head Yes, that is a little crazy. That is crazy, <laughs> and I could see the murder happening, and then them embellishing it with all the pig stuff. Right, right. Like, no, that's that's a fair point. Like I could definitely see it starting off as this pig farmer murdered this guy. This pig farmer cut his head off and replaced it with a pig head. Yeah, because suddenly it goes from oh shit, like we have a murderer on the loose who's out to get the people at this facility to, oh, no, this is just a crazy outlandish story that can never happen. Right. And thank you, Sarge, for the sub. Again, I didn't mute the alert sounds, and that's just what we're working with today. So I hope you guys, <laughs> hope you guys listening like baby metal. <laughs> that story is buck wild. I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I was really looking for something and of course I got it from my favorite website Mysterious Universe which is like my new go-to <laughs> which by the way there's some shit on there so okay one quick thing I want to mention before we move on is another story that came up when I was looking at Mysterious Universe was that Trump's son or Trump's Trump I guess bought this area of land for his sons I guess that was right next to a psych hospital that was said to be haunted. He bought it specifically for them to go hunting. And so apparently people just hear explosions and shit there all the time. And they think that they're like fucking with ghosts or whatever. So that's a thing. They're exploding just thought ghosts. I'd bring some... I guess so. <laughs> that was kind of how they explained it. You know, they're just like, maybe they're exploding ghosts. And I was that... like, okay, well, this is, that's a little out there, but, but I'm with you. That's, I'm still with you. <laughs> that's my post-core uh, indie band name is Exploding Ghosts. Yeah. So what should it be a band called Exploding Ghosts? I'll feel really bad. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a... What is it? What is that? Uh, um, what's the ghost juice called? 
What? Asm. There's something. It's like something asm. Oh, oh, oh! I know what you're talking about. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Give me a second. Give me a second. Fuck. Now all I have in my head is ghost juice. <laughs> Plasm. Ectoplasm. Plasm? Ectoplasm. Ectoplasm. That's what it is. Ectoplasm. Exploding ectoplasm. There's your band name. <laughs> That's all I was trying to get to, by the way, was the band name. And I was struggling so hard with it. It is a supernatural viscous substance that is uh, supposed to exude from the body of a medium during a spiritualistic trance and uh, form the material for the manifestation of spirits. It's supposed to be like <laughs> ghost juice or ectoplasm. It's supposed, it's supposed to be like this gross syrupy sticky like substance that is created when a human forms contact with a spirit not unlike waffle juice not unlike waffle juice Uh, except less tasty probably a little more thick yeah Yeah. probably every time i see ectoplasm in like movies and stuff it's like real thick it's a big old goop it's grody there's some grody stuff wow there's so wait hold on there's images of ectoplasm? The fuck am I looking at? Oh, I don't know. If you just Google ectoplasm under images, some weird shit comes up. I'm just gonna save the image and post it later because that is a- an uncomfortable looking image. It's like growing on the medium's face. Ugh. Oh my god, this oh, is something shit, I dude. did not know about. What the fuck? Wait a minute though. Okay, so I just was looking through images of Marlboro, like the psych <laughs> hospital. Oh, okay. And, but there's a. I'm really bad with words today. Two words. Um, they're in funeral homes. You keep bodies in them in creepy movies. Oh, the slidey door yeah, thing. Yeah, the slidey door thingies. <laughs> I don't know. I've never known what those are called. What are words today? Whatever. Anyway, there's a picture of one, except the door is open and there's no bodies inside. It's just a chair. There's just a chair in there. In the slidey door? In the slidey door. How did a chair fit in there? Is it a folding they, chair? They got, rid of the, they got rid of the slidey door part, and they just put a chair in there. Yeah, that's just creepy. They're just trying to fuck with you. That's so creepy. Yeah. And there's just, like, shit hanging off the walls. Oh, man. Are oh, they- wow. And then, like, people are Freezer just lockers. There. Is that the term? Freezer lockers? Are they frozen? Do they have a temperature in them? That would I'm, make sense. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're refrigerated to keep them fresh. <laughs> So, you know how Ash has aphasia, where, like, he forgets common words? Yeah. Okay. It's, like, one of my favorite things. So, his way of dealing with it is coming up with, like, a really quick replacement really fast. And my favorite, today's his birthday. What up, dude? And I talked to him today, and my favorite moment of aphasia was when he tried to describe a grocery store to me by calling it a food library. You just cut out a lot. You just cut it out. You just cut out a lot. I don't know what you said. Well, I like that better is what I was getting at. Is aphasia when you can't recognize faces? Is it dysphasia? What the fuck's it called when you can't remember words? Hang on. No, aphasia is loss of ability to understand or express speech. It's typically caused by brain damage. But Maybe yeah. it's dysplasia that's no. not being able to recognize things. I just Googled it. It's aphasia. But yes. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Ruben just goes, my favorite is fish zoo for aquarium. The fish zoo. <laughs> but my other favorite one besides food library, which food library is just up there, is boring donut for a bagel. I never would have gotten that. A boring. Because I think bagels are very exciting. 
<laughs> boring donut. <laughs> oh my god. Also, goodness. it wasn't a folding chair. Redwards, it was a wooden chair, which I think makes it creepier. It's like an old lime green wooden chair sitting in a freezer locker. Ew, it's lime green? That's worse. It's a lime green chair just sitting in there. Ew. And there's no place there. But I mean, all of it is, it's all rusted and grody and just, ugh. Who makes oh, a there's chair? Like, there's like blood on the walls. Oh. I'm going to send you this Yeah, picture. send me the it's photos. Crazy. But who makes a chair and it goes, I need this to be lime green? Like, they had to have been colorblind. It was live, laugh, love, people. Oh, yeah. <gasps> okay, I almost, it's a complete hella side note, but hi, everybody. I'm planning a Harry Potter-themed baby shower for my sister-in-law, and my aunt is trying to help me, who knows nothing about Harry Potter. And she was like, yeah, I got this cute box that says live, laugh, love. For no. them to put like advice, like parent parental advice in it, and I was like, we can't have that. And here's the thing: her, my aunt's name is Karen. <laughs> is her hair short? Is her hair short? Her hair is short, but it's bra- it's black brown, not blonde. They're yeah. evolving. But, she bought, <laughs> but my aunt Karen bought a live laugh love box, and I told her she had to take it back. <laughs> She was like, what? And I was like, Aunt Karen, no live, laugh, love in this household. Like, we can't have that. And she was well, like, it's a good okay. thing you down. But yeah, it just. That could have been a disaster. And then I had to explain to her the Karen meme. And that was a whole other conversation. You explained to Karen what a Karen meme is? She mentioned it a little bit. She was like, yeah, apparently uh, Karen is a meme now, but I don't know it. And I tried to explain it to her. I was like, yeah, it's a name for someone who, like, you know, tries to use expired coupons and wants to see the manager and is, like, really difficult to work with at restaurants. And well, so, she knows who people are now. And she was like, oh, people named Karen don't like people like that? And I was like, no, 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 no. The people like that are the people named Karen. And she just sort of paused and went like, well, it's like a generational thing. It's like a generational name thing. Like, it's not my fault. That's my name. (laughs) That's very true. That's a very good argument. Very true. I I also know two Karens who are our age. So are they Karen like? No. Well, that's good. They're both hilarious in their own right. Good. And they kind of embrace the joke of Karen. But that's because they're millennials and that's what we do. Okay, one more thing about Karen's and then we can move on. Yeah, yeah. I watched this video. I posted it. You should watch it. Um, and it's called When Karen When a Karen Meets Another Karen. And I expected it to be dumb and not at all funny, but I was completely wrong. It is dumb and also very, very funny. Is it by so, Turdleys? Is it two dudes pretending to be Karen's? It's four dudes pretending to be Karens. Okay, well, send it to me. Um, so do you remember the video of the guy who was like, you must take out the rubbish or whatever. And he like does the whole, he's wearing a big yes! coat. Yes. And there's Britney Spears posters on the walls. Yes. Okay. So it's not those people, but okay. it's people who are associated with those people. Got it. Okay. So I just cool. sent it to you and you can watch that later. But it Amazing. is so good. Trevor, okay. Wallace, <laughs> Trevor Wallace and Turdleys do videos together a lot. The only other Trevor video that I found really funny was the um, Bang Energy The Bang, oh the bang versus God. Monster. Yes. Um, so do you have any more Asylum stuff? 
I don't know. Okay. I covered it. That's fine. You covered it. We did it. So the first thing I thought of when I thought of asylums was torture. Oh, yeah. Imprisoning women and uh, gay conversion therapy are all the things that come to mind when I think of insane asylums. Oh, my God. I really just forgot the name of it. The Angelina Jolie movie. Uh, Changeling? Oh, no, no, no. Girl Interrupted. Girl Interrupted. Yes. Girl Interrupted was so fucking good and it fucked my shit up. Girl Interrupted is my recommended movie of the episode. Yes. Because. That is is on brand. Everything I'm about to talk about is all about women. Because that's just what I found in my research and I guess was just what I wanted to look at. Because I didn't realize to the extent of which women were wrongly thrown into insane asylums. And it is more extreme than I realized. The first story I came across was about Nellie Bly, who is a badass in her own right. And she is who the main character of American Horror Story Asylum is based about on. Wow, English. The, the journalist? The journalist. She's based okay. off of a real journalist who, pretend, who pretended to be insane to get inside of an asylum. That character is based off of a real person. The main differences is this woman was only in there for 10 days, and it was the 1800s when she did it. It wasn't the 60s. Mm, okay. So, so um, that sounds even worse. Yeah, actually. So Nellie Bly was a journalist, and she was 23, and at the time was struggling to be taken seriously as a journalist because women weren't taken seriously, and finding work for women was difficult at the time. But this bitch is bad. She's a bad bitch, and I love her. So there is this asylum in New York, which is now, the island is now called Roosevelt Island, and it's now a famous place for knowing to have an abandoned asylum, and it's an island covered in feral cats. Just covered in feral cats. That sounds like my dream. I know. I wanted to go there when I went to New York and visited Kimmy, and she was like, no, but come on, feral cats. And she's like, uh, abandoned asylum. We'll go to the one in uh, Japan. We'll go to that one. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Before it was called Roosevelt's Island, it was called Blackwell's Island, and it had an insane asylum on it, but the asylum was also, it was an asylum as well as a hospital. For a while, it was a hospital for people with smallpox, and it's like a multifunctional building, but mostly famous for its asylum and how it mistreated people. And there was always rumor going around about the mistreatment, but there was no proof. It's not like anyone who went in ever really came out to talk about it. Right. There was a a men's psych ward and a woman's psych ward, but they moved the men's psych ward to a different island. So it became just a woman's psych ward. So so you said this is in New York? Yeah. Is there any basis of this in Shutter Island. I have seen Shutter Island. And Shutter Island reminds me of a combination of this place and, like, Alcatraz. (laughs) Yeah, fair point. (laughs) So, also, I just want to mention that asylums were actually created in the 1700s and were originally a way to get mentally ill people away from the rest of society, like a prison. So they would typically throw criminals in there as well as people who just make other people uncomfortable. Like if you were someone who made everyone uncomfortable out in society, you would be thrown into one of these places. A lot of times 
no one's paying for you to be there. So they treat you fucking horribly. Right. Like a prison. Nellie got the idea from one of her editors. She was trying to... Basically, all of the um, newspapers she had been working for basically kept trying to give her female fluff pieces. Like, they only wanted her to write about stuff regarding women. And she was, you know, wanting to write about more than just things that things are important to everybody. So she found a loophole. She was like, this is for women, but also it's important. But also it's important because it, like, shows... Because it's also... Like, the way they're treating the women is also very similar to how they treated the men and just everybody in this place. So, that's kind of what happened. So, she at the time, she was working for the New York World, which was known for its hard-hitting investigative pieces, which was a perfect fit for her. And she was only one of a handful of female reporters in New York at the time. And determined to make her mark, she was like, I'm just going to do this crazy, dangerous assignment. For years, rumors had swirled about conditions of uh, Blackwell's Island, now known as Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. Okay, here's the list of all the shit it was. So it was um, home of a, nu- of a number of public institutions. as a penitentiary, a poorhouse, hospitals for infectious diseases like smallpox, and an asylum. And for a while, they had a ward for people who they, they just expected to die. There was a whole ward of people who were sick with illnesses that were, it was called the uncurables or the incurables, where they just shoved all of the people who had diseases that they were like, well, you're going to die anyways. We're just shoving you all in this one place to go die together. Uh, Everyone in this place is just treated horrendously. Bly's editor suggested she have herself committed for 10 days for an expose, and she immediately was like, fuck yeah. But it, like, took a while for her to get realistically admitted. She couldn't just walk in and be like, hey, I'm crazy. Admit me. She got this room at a boarding house, and started walking the streets around it and wandering halls in the boarding house. And she refused to sleep to make herself seem crazier. And she started ranting and yelling incoherently at people. And she even practiced looking crazed in the mirror. And within days, the boarding house owners called the police on her. And at that point, she was claiming to be a Cuban immigrant suffering from amnesia, but she was clearly a white woman who was not from another country. Right, right. And um, a very confused judge was like, we're just going to send you to this one place called Bellevue Hospital, which is also a bad place, but not as bad as Blackwell. So at Bellevue, everyone was forced to eat spoiled food that had gone bad and just lived in really gross, unclean conditions. And then there, she was diagnosed with dementia, as well as several other psychological illnesses, which all were faked. Well, she right. didn't have any of them. She faked all of it. Also, was to, she continuing to fake it, and that's why they thought that, or I mean, she was trying to get herself admitted to Blackwell. Right? Yeah, okay. So they sent her to right. one hospital, and she couldn't be like, "Wait, no, send me to Blackwell." <laughs> right, right. So she had to keep up the act to then be submitted to Blackwell. <laughs> so at Bellevue is when they were like, well, this 23-year-old bitch clearly has dementia. <laughs> what 23-year-old has dementia? Whatever. I digress. Finally, she was sent to Blackwell. The place was worse than she thought. And so originally built to hold only 1,000 patients, Blackwell was cramming more than 1,600 people in the asylum when she arrived in 1887. Extensive budget cuts had led to a sharp decline in patient care 
leaving just 16 doctors on staff. Oh, for 1,600 patients? Yeah, that's 100 patients per doctor. Fuck that. Asylums back then were also kind of considered, like, curiosities, where thrill-seekers, like, you know, famous authors and writers like Charles Dickens and whatnot would go there to look at these mad people and study and write about them and make all this money and being inspired, when majority of the people in there were not actually insane at all. They were just basically being tortured. And a lot of the doctors and staff with little training, and, like, so these people were treated like a, like, zoo. Like a, like there weren't people. Like they were on display. Yeah. And, um, the doctors and staff, like, didn't give a shit. A lot of them, like, didn't care and had very little compassion and typically ordered very harsh and brutal treatments that did very little to heal but hurt the patients a lot. Bly quickly befriended fellow inmates who her inmates revealed to her all of the psychological and physical abuse, everything from like patients were forced to take ice cold baths and then remain in the wet clothes for hours, leading to a lot of illnesses. Um, sometimes they were forced to sit still on benches for 12 or more hours without speaking or moving. And if they did, they would be punished. Um, some patients were tethered together with ropes and forced to pull carts around like mules. The food and sanitary conditions were horrific with rotten meat, moldy stale bread, frequently contaminated water dishes. And uh, those who complained or resisted from eating the food were beaten. Bly even spoke of the threat of sexual violence by uh, vicious, tyrannical staffers. Basically, I'll rape you if you don't eat your food kind of That's a thing. Insane. Oh, yeah. Um, she also found out that many of the inmates were not insane at all. And a lot of them were recent immigrants, mostly women, who just couldn't speak English well. And they got caught up in a law enforcement system that they were just unable to communicate in. <sighs> yeah. Basically, there are others who were there simply for just being poor and not having family to support them. And, and that's something I'll, I'll touch on later because that confused me, so I had to look into it. I was like, how do you end up in an insane asylum for being poor? Well, guess what? I found out how. Majority of these people were not suffering from any ment- mental illnesses, but due to their treatments there, they <laughs> became mentally ill. Right, because they're given shit that they don't need, and those kind of chemicals are going to fuck with you eventually. Well, that shit isn't needed for anybody, actually. And it's not even about, like, chemicals or treatments. Like, these people were just being beaten and, like, treated like animals. And it caused a lot of psychological issues. Yeah, that I can imagine. Also, if enough people tell you you're crazy, like, at one point, are you like, maybe I'm crazy? I am, yeah. She got out after 10 days. Her editor had arranged for her release. Her editor, who I'm assuming is a man, and was able to be like, oh, this belongs to me. (laughs) And um, her first articles on her experience were published within days, and the series became a publishing sensation. A month after her articles are published, a grand jury panel visited the asylum to investigate. Uh, The hospital and its staff had been tipped off in advance. And so by the time the jury members arrived, the asylum had, like, cleaned up everything and kicked out all of the inmates Bly had talked to and, um, like, sent them to other places. And they had, like, all of a sudden brought in fresh food and water. So it was just like in American Horror Story Asylum where they're just like, no, everything's fine. She's making all of it up. Yep. However, even though they did all of that, the grand jury still agreed with Bly and said the place was fucked up. 
and were like, no, 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 this is a cover-up, clearly. Like, that's how poorly they did it. There was a bill that was already under consideration, which would increase funding for mental institutions, and it ended up being pushed, adding nearly $1 million to the budget, which in today's money is $24 million, and a departmental budget towards um, helping mental institutions. Abusive staff members were fired. Translators were then hired to assist the immigrant patients, and changes were made to the system to help prevent those who did not actually suffer from mental illnesses from being committed. That basically launched Bly's career. Hell yeah, go her. Fuck yeah, girl power, what up? And (laughs) she ended up, she became one of the most famous journalists in the world, which is why I'm very upset I hadn't heard of her until fucking today. She was a household name at the time. Everybody fucking knew who she was. We should know who she is. Well, I mean, that not that part of why we do this podcast is like, there's shit that we could have known about. And because we do this, we find out. Exactly. And she actually also recreated the trip depicted in the book Around the World in 80 Days, going around oh. the globe by herself. And she beat the record by a week. Whoa, that's dope. And then she retired from journalism after marrying a millionaire. So, <laughs> so she did her best. She had her best life. She had. She lived her best life, and uh, she passed away in 1922. But she lived a full fucking life. She was awesome, and her exploits and achievements became the subject of books, plays, and a Broadway musical. Which Broadway musical? I don't know. What is this? We should know this. What is the Broadway musical? It's just in this article. Hold on, Nellie Bly musical oh it's just called nelly bly it's just called nelly okay i'm okay. in okay you win your your great title just lured me in. <laughs> yeah okay it was at the adelphi theater okay, okay. a 1946 broadway wow that's an old musical damn Woo. yeah so that's a household name yeah she really was but anyway so the fact that random ass women were all admitted to this place made me be like what the fuck? So I decided to look into um, the oppression of women through the use of psychiatry mm. in these institutions. And I found way too much, probably. I found way too much. And a lot of it is about the quote unquote hysterical female. I did my makeup like this because I thought it'd be fun and like goofy and also on brand with this theme of like this hysterical woman. Pretty much women could be put into a mental institution starting from the 1700s until, like, I want to say probably the 1930s for almost anything because we weren't considered people because we were owned by men. And so these women would be forced to go into these asylums based on the word of their fathers or their husbands or, in some cases, your brother. Like, if both of your parents were dead and it was just, like, you and your brother and you're not married, your brother has, like, ownership of you. Jeez. Yeah. And so there's this one article I read about just explaining the different ways women were put into asylums where, like, for example, in 1867, a 17-year-old named um, Alice Christina Abbott, I think that's how you say that, Abbott, she poisoned her stepfather's afternoon cup of tea and killed him. It turns out the reason why she did it is because he had been raping her since she was 13. Oh my god, is this not exactly like Sucker Punch? Yeah. Yeah, that was, I was just about to reference Sucker Punch. I know we've like touched on our recommended movie, but that's another one because that's the shit that happened. It was, 
She was protecting her little sister from what he had been doing to her for years. Yeah. At the time, the terminology, because it's 1867, was an improper connection with her. He had been raping her since she was 13. She was 17. And she finally said that she was going to go public with the abuse and speak out about it. And when she said that, he threatened to put her in reform school. So she killed him. (laughs) So here's the part that's really fucked up and stupid, in my opinion, is like, this girl is not criminally insane. She knew what she was doing and doesn't regret it and, like, didn't have, oh, my God, I was in a haze. Nothing like that. Uh, So the newspaper reported she had threatened to kill her stepfather and had made no secret of her satisfaction at his death. (laughs) Abbott's accusations against her stepfather of sexual misconduct were called singular by the courts and essentially dismissed. Um, She stood trial in August of 1867 and was committed to uh, Taunton State Hospital which is a lunatic asylum in Massachusetts. Thank you so much for the follow. Sorry. Yes, a lunatic asylum in Massachusetts. After that, little is known and details surrounding the case remain mysterious, but she was neither, she was treated neither as a victim of sex crimes or as a sane woman who knowingly committed murder. Apparently that was very typical of a time in which women suspected of pushing back against their social situations were always given the diagnosis of insane, regardless. So, like, if you had stepped out of the realm of what society expected of you, you are insane. Murder someone in self-defense, whatever, like, you're insane. And if you don't play up the whole victim part and you have zero regrets and zero, like, I'm sad and upset and emotion that is expected of you, you're going to be thrown into one of these fucking places. Which I feel like so many women must have faked that in order to just survive, which is yeah, sure. which is what drilled in such stereotype into men and women's brains about how women are. That were these delicate lilies you have to protect, and it's fucking stupid. So according to Carol Smith Rosenberg, an author and expert in women's history in the U.S., uh, psychiatrists during the Victorian era were also called alienists, which they were mostly called that during the 19th century specifically used medicine to police women's behavior. So they all had a very definite ideas about how women should behave. There were general feelings of what caused abnormal behavior, and usually this was a refusal of traditional gender roles. Like, if you refused your traditional gender role, we were going to use medicine and psychiatry to police you, to make you behave. So in Abbott's case, and many others are compelling because she fucking killed a man, But uh, they also point to a time period that leaned on emerging field of psychiatry to maintain the male-dominated status quo. I mean, did she actually do it? Was she mad? Did she believe violence was her only resource? Like, did she really believe there was no other way to change her situation? Does she deserve to be locked up? We will never fucking know now because no one wanted to give the case at the time the light of fucking day to really look into it. They just wanted to write her off as insane and push her on her way to probably, like, die of hypothermia of being hosed down in a fucking hospital. There's another woman, Grace Marks. She, uh, actually her story inspired uh, a novel (laughs) called Alias Grace. And Mm -hmm. um, she may or may not have been a deranged killer. (laughs) Oh, okay. But uh, Marks, Grace Marks, worked for Thomas Kinnear, who was a wealthy farmer when she was a teenager. And in 1843, when she was 16, she was tried for the murder of not only Thomas Kinnear, but also Nancy Montgomery, Kinnear's housekeeper and mistress. 
Marks stood trial alongside James McDermott, who was Kinnear's stable hand with whom Grace Marks was involved with romantically. To this day, however, it remains unclear if she committed the act or was just an accessory. So what happened was, because Mick Dermont was a man, they were like, well, obviously you're the mastermind and you did it, and they hung him, even though he had tried to argue time and time and time again that, like, it really wasn't him, it was Grace. Like, Grace is the one who did it. Like, everything, like, all of the evidence and stuff pointed towards Grace being the mastermind behind the murders. But because she was a woman and she was only 16, they dismissed her as, oh, no, poor woman was taken advantage of and manipulated by the mean, smart man. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because a woman could never do something like that. (laughs) Because gender roles won't allow that. Gender roles won't allow women to commit (laughs) murder, which is why that one nurse we talked about a while ago killed like 200 people before getting caught in the 1800s. What was her name? Do you remember her? Who? She's like the most notorious female serial killer. She was the nurse oh, in the late eighteen uh, hundreds. Yeah, the nurse. And like she, the nurse of death. She killed two hundred people, and like no yeah. one, people instead of suspecting her of murder, they just assumed she was bad at her job because she was a woman. If she was like the lady of death. Hang on, let me let me find her because I remember that bitch. If we took women more <laughs> seriously, this wouldn't happen. <laughs> Serial killer nurse. Here we go. Her name was Jolly Jane Topin. Oh, what a name. Oh, so happy does this make me. Yeah. Jolly so Jane. She was, she was then sent to um, the Kingston Penitentiary in Ontario, Canada, where she began to, quote unquote, exhibit signs of insanity. And when she was totally sane before all of this, but then, you know. Once caught for murder and her boyfriend's hung, she's like, oh my gosh, like, I see spectral visions and just displays extreme mood swings, which is like the easiest thing to fake. Right, yeah. (laughs) I have mood swings for breakfast. Yeah, like, come on. (laughs) Few records were kept of Mark's... Okay, hang on, I'm getting confuzzled. Why did she murder this time? Why did she murder? We don't know. We don't know. She just killed someone and we don't know. Potentially. She she killed some she killed someone and his mistress with the help of her boyfriend. Okay, but and, we don't know why. And we don't know why because I'd love there's a reason. I wish I knew there was a reason. People who worked at this asylum at first were like, "This girl's insane," and then after a while, um, Susanna Moody, who worked there, started saying that she thought that Marx was faking it in order. To, like, fit into the system and make the system work in her favor. Of course, it would be another woman who suspects it and not a man, because men think all women are insane. But yeah, a woman who was there was like, I think she's faking it and is just doing this to get out of being hung for murder. It's also very possible that both James and Grace were both equally guilty. Doesn't change the fact that Grace was still, like, not hung due to the fact that she was a woman and that she was 16. So at the time, psychiatrists were very often hired by husbands and fathers to probe their wives and daughters' quote-unquote abnormal behavior. And the reasons men went to such lengths is because they just couldn't understand why a woman would be exhausted, overeducated, premenstrual syndrome, 
They could understand why they would be unmarried or masturbating. Like, they were like, all of these things make no sense to me. Like, you need to see a psychiatrist. Beats simple men and their dumb, dumb brains. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Being overeducated is abnormal. Like, get the fuck out of here. Ugh. It was never actually about medical treatment. It was about exerting control over women's lives and bodies under the guise of medicine. Oh, absolutely. So as a result... That's not happening still. Yeah, but as a result, uncertainty and confusion continues to cloud criminal cases such as Mark's in which a woman was charged with murder. It's crazy. It's like, oh, you're these delicate, fragile little lilies who are having such a hard time existing in the real world we're gonna put you in this asylum to fix you so you can function in the real world now and And so so you go back to being a lily instead of anything else other than that yeah so women who should be caught and locked up can get away with murder because of this behavior not behavior but because of this treatment but there are thousands of victorian era women who were never accused of violence or specific crimes yet were still sentenced to live in asylums they're basically just being punished for breaking social norms. An example of that is Elizabeth Packard, who was a teacher living in Jacksonville, Illinois. She was the mother of six children and was expected to be a gentle, caring, and obedient, ideal Victorian woman. And at some point in her marriage, however, she started disagreeing with the radical religious beliefs of her husband, Theophilus, which that's a name, holy shit. And he was a strict Calvinist pastor, and I still don't know what Calvinist means. Let's find out. Religious-wise, I didn't look it up. I'm just imagining it's a fire and brimstone Catholicism type. It means uh, it's a major branch of uh, Protestantism. Protestantism. Protestantism? Yeah, Protestantism. There you go. Um, It's a major branch of Protestantism. That follows the theological tradition and forms of Christian practice set down by John Calvin and other Reformation era theologians. So it's like highly edited version of the Bible? Yeah, it's like a subgroup. Okay. It's like someone took Protestants and then took it a step further. Okay. So um, one morning at church, uh, she just fucking reached her breaking point, which don't we fucking all. I know I absolutely would have ended up in a fucking asylum because I... I'm like this. <laughs> I can't keep my mouth fucking shut. She stood up in the middle of her husband's sermon and announced that this shit's nuts. I'm going to the Methodist church across the street. She's like, y'all dumb. I don't like this. This is, I don't agree. To the more conservative members of Reverend Packard's church who held firm to the Calvinist bedrock of human depravity and ignorance, her beliefs were literal evidence of insanity. The fact that she would chose to go to a Methodist church Proved to the entire church she's insane. Her husband arranged for a doctor to visit his wife while pretending to be a sewing machine salesman. Like, she was tricked. Like, this is bullshit. Like, he hired a doctor to come to his house to pretend to sell sewing machines. She started talking to the doctor slash salesman and ended up confiding in him. And she told him about her husband's extreme religious ideas and his belief that she was a lunatic. And how, you know, she just doesn't see it that way. But the doctor ended up siding with her husband and diagnosed her as insane and sending her to the Illinois State Hospital for the insane in Jacksonville. So was he a Calvinist doctor? I don't know. I think he's just a misogynistic asshole. Okay. Yeah. And so um, his reasons included her refusal to shake his hand. 
and the fact that she was acting this way above the age of 40. How dare you have a mind of your own? (laughs) At the time, Illinois law did not require proof of mental illness for a husband to put his wife away, which is also fucked up. So if a husband didn't want his wife anymore, he could just put her away and like go off dating other women. Bullshit. Oh, yeah. Women were absolutely just straight up property. So she was locked up for three years. And when her son turned 21, he was able to secure her release. I mean, like, it's bullshit that she couldn't get herself out and another woman couldn't get her out. A man had to. But her son luckily was a man. Yeah, it's fucked up. But at least he had the common sense. Or at least I hope. I don't know where this story is going. But I at least hope that he was just like, this is bullshit. I'm getting her out. But her confinement didn't end there. Once she returned home, her husband locked her in the house and nailed the windows shut. Like, that man should be in an asylum. What the fuck? Yeah, what the shit? Why is he not arrested? Why is he not put away? So, in 1864, she stood trial in the Packard versus Packard. I guess sued him, essentially, or, like, tried to get justice against him to prove her sanity and regain the right to leave her home. You had to gain the right to leave your home on your own as a woman. And she won the case, thank fucking God. And in fact, it actually only took seven minutes for the jury to see that she was sane and totally fine, and that her husband's a nutcase. After separating from her husband, she founded the Anti-Insane Asylum Society. And she's like, fuck this. <laughs> and she campaigned for divorced women to retain custody of their children. Oh. Um, she also went on to author a number of books, including The Prisoner's Hidden Life and Insane Asylums Unveiled. But yeah, I didn't think about this because today in our society, women always immediately get custody of children. But I didn't think about it. But I guess back then, because women were viewed in such a poor way and unstable, like if you divorced your husband, you wouldn't have custody of your children. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that either. The the man would because he's considered stable and he has the money to raise the kids when a woman couldn't have a job. What's that? You know what this reminds me of, you know, this whole... I'm going to write books instead. I'm going to show you motherfuckers how this thing is going to go. It reminds me of a classic song. Um, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Never got to bring me down. <laughs> That's beautiful. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. It's my classical rendition of a classic song. Well, I'm, I'm so close to being done, I promise. I know I've just talked a lot because that's what I do and what's funny is I thought I hadn't done enough research for this episode oh no I keep them short (laughs) so it's not it's not you you just found a lot of info and I was just like this will be great (laughs) so through that I decided to do research on the quote-unquote hysterical female like what makes a female hysterical during Victorian era Basically, Victorian society emphasized female purity and supported this ideal of the quote-unquote true woman as a wife, mother, and keeper of the home. And in Victorian society, the home was a basis of morality and a sanctuary free from the corruption of the city. And as guardian of the home and family, women were believed to be more emotional, dependent, and gentle by nature. This perception of femininity led to the popular conclusion that women were more susceptible to disease and illness and was a basis for the diagnosis of insanity in many female patients during the 1800s. Because you're emotional, dependent, and gentle, 
you must have a low immune system and get sick easily. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And like things fuck with your mind more. Your mind is more delicate and can't handle harsh realities. So it was very common for female patients to be diagnosed as suffering from hysteria. 19th century upper and middle class women were completely dependent on their husbands and fathers and their lives revolved around their role as respectable daughter, housewife, and mother. So with very little power, control, and independence, depression, anxiety, and stress were insanely common among Victorian women struggling to cope with a static existence under the thumb of a strict gender ideals and unyielding patriarchy. Characterized as being like, you were, if you were a nervous, if you were eccentric or had erratic behavior, you were immediately written off as suffering from hysteria. So being kind of odd, which is eccentric, would be hysteria, which is ridiculous. And although there were also hysterical males, attributing the condition to the female nature fit the social model of women and validated the medical integrity of psychiatry by proving a suitable diagnosis. Hysterical women and their families, the asylum offered a very convenient and socially acceptable excuse for inappropriate and potentially scandalous behavior. And rather than being viewed as a bad and immoral woman, honor and reputation could be maintained by the diagnosis of a medical condition. So say you had a very rich family, but you were very outspoken and like not wanting to be tied down and really odd. The family could get out of the embarrassment of having you be in their family by saying, oh, it's not her fault. She's suffering from a medical condition. It's not her fault. She's like this. She's a victim. So in contrast to the true woman was the fallen woman, which was a term used to describe women usually of the lower classes, and most commonly in reference to sex workers, who had strayed from the cult of true womanhood by giving in to seduction and sin. The plight of the fallen woman was closely associated with uh, like a woman being vulnerable to give in to temptation and is alone and outside the protection of the home. This protection of the home that she's supposed to keep clean and keep her safe from the city. The rise of the fallen woman intensified Victorian's already intense focus on morality and gave rise to the moral reform movements of the 19th century. Asylums were viewed as a way to save these women, restore their respectability, and prepare them for a return to society in an acceptable female role. If you got caught sleeping with a married man, you would be punished and not him and could be sent to an asylum because you're the one who gave in to sin and seduction and you're the one who needs to be fixed. Right, because it can't be the man's fault. Right. Um, and, it, and it could very well be like you didn't even know he was married. Like, you don't, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and so that was just something I wanted to touch on was the hysterical woman. If you just show any signs of extreme emotion, basically, like public displays of emotion, fighting back of any kind, like all of that would you'd be sent straight to the asylum and hosed down and basically starved until you break down and conform enough to be pushed back into your little cubby. A lot of times this was done by lobotomies, um, electroshock therapy. Uh, Another one was called, um, oh my God, what was it called? Hold on, I have it. 
Well, bloodletting is one, but that's like medieval. <laughs> like bloodletting mm-hmm. and purging. Purging is one. I think purging is what is used for conversion therapy where they force you to vomit while looking at gay porn. There's insulin coma therapy, which they decided to trade out for electroshock therapy because they realized electroshock therapy was more safe, which is fucked up. There's the old, old, old medieval practice of drilling holes in your head. I don't know. All kinds of shit. Oh, oh, it was like shaming therapy or something. Like they shame you? Moral treatment. Because they believe mental illness was a moral issue and could be treated through humane care and instilling moral discipline. They would try to beat morals into you, essentially, if you didn't have the morals of something they considered valuable to them. I guess Scarlet Letter, like, would kind of be one of them where you, like, they shame you into conforming by force, like, by, by, like, humiliation and stuff like that. That kind of thing. Holy it's it's like just like in Game star. of Thrones. It's like in Game of Thrones with the shame thing. Yeah, the it's, walk of shame. It's that. Moral treatment is doing stuff like that. Where they're just like, oh, if we, you know, do this to you, you'll never do it again. You'll right. conform to our beliefs. Shame, shame. <laughs> Don't forget the bells and to be naked in public. God, the human race is a sad one. Sad history. I feel like we've got a lot of movie recommendations. We do. We do. Girl Interrupted, Sucker Punch. Shutter Island. Shutter Island. I want to rewatch Shutter Island because I don't remember the end. Same. I would also like to rewatch that because I uh, don't remember it because I watched it when I was a wee lass and I don't think I understood most of it i i did watch sucker punch recently though really i watched it when it was in theaters and i loved it so much and i was so upset when it got bad reviews and people being like i hated it and i was like you don't get it yeah see i hate to admit this but i was one of those people i was like i don't like this and then i went back and watched it and i was like it's actually evolved and it's past its time like before its time Yeah, we didn't appreciate it when it was released, but going back to it is a lot better than what we originally thought. It came out when I was like 17, 18, I think I was 18, and I had this friend who I talked to about it. I I brought it up to her that I saw it because I really liked it. I liked it a lot. I just was one of those people that really liked it. And I thought it... Buried in an action-heavy, sexually charged... I liked so. taking it. I liked taking it apart and like seeing it for the story it was trying to portray. And I liked all the metaphors for like the sexual abuse and stuff, and trying to like survive and escape. And how all those cutscenes is like where your mind dissociates and goes to to get away from your reality of the horrors that are happening to you. And mm-hmm. that was just something I really liked at the time. I still find it very interesting, and I really liked that movie. And I had this one friend who she saw this trailer. She's the one who showed me the trailer and was like, I'm so excited for this movie. And so I saw it and was like, oh, my God, I saw it. I loved it. And she was like, that movie was garbage. And I was like, what? No. (laughs) But at the time, she was very hardcore feminist in the sense that sexualizing women doesn't fit in feminism yet. Right. Does that make sense? Like sexual liberation and whatnot at that point in time. Right, it was more so wasn't, just for men than it was, like... Wasn't considered... Kind of like Jennifer's body. Like, wasn't yeah. considered a feminist thing where, like, it absolutely is, like, sexuality, control of your body, having sexual urges, and doing all these things is a huge part 
of feminism, like being comfortable mm-hmm. with your sexuality, wanting to embrace and express it. And so at that time, though, that friend wasn't on that wagon yet. Sex symbols were still bad and degrading women. Like, women can't be empowered by their bodies, like, kind of a thing. Right. And so I always felt kind of like, not behind on the times, but like, I wasn't really, I don't know, I was always back and forth with that mindset. Like, I definitely did have times where, like, I definitely slut-shamed women as a kid. I definitely did all of that. I definitely would get jealous. And a lot of it was centered around jealousy. Like, I would be jealous about other girls I know and be like, oh, my God, they're a slut and stuff. But really, they just wore that top better than we ever could. (laughs) It's very true. In reality, it was just, you know, men just want to pit women against each other. It keeps us from rising up against them. Mm-hmm. I like to think we've grown since then. I like to think so too. Like I, I definitely have realized the the fun as well as the empowerment of your own owning your sexuality. Yeah, that's the word. Owning your sexuality, yeah. basically, not being ashamed of it, not saying like you can't. You not ha- saying that it makes me slut. Like to, I have to be ashamed of my it. vagina, but you can be proud of your penis. Like fuck off. Yeah. I like sucker punch. <laughs> yeah. What's up? Sucker punch is a good shit. Ariel loved Sucker Punch before I did, and she just was more evolved than I was at the time. I'm glad for she made sure. a comeback in a way. Yeah, it did. I, I'm glad I went back and watched it because I, I feel like I did appreciate it more than I did before. But yeah, Sucker Punch is a great one. If you're looking for more action-related stuff, Girl Interrupted is a shotgun to the face, yeah. which is I, which I mean in the best way possible. Yeah. <laughs> like I loved that movie. I remember I will never forget the Brittany Murphy scene. That is engraved in my brain forever Which when scene? they go to visit her with Angelina Jolie. I think it's part of why I'm I'm really accepting and nice to people who may not think the way that I do is because of that scene from Girl Interrupted. Really? And I, don't I need know. to rewatch it, honestly. Because I watched yeah, that it a long time ago. But, I mean, yeah, that would make sense to me. Um, well, because initially she was like, you thought she was such a badass for such a long time. And then you see stuff like that. And it was just like, wait a minute. I have the wrong interpretation of this person. That's really kind of what it was. But uh, that's a great movie. Yeah. And then Shutter Island, I don't remember. That's one that I definitely have to go back I to I don't watch. fucking remember that movie. All I know is that it's Leo DiCaprio on a prison asylum island. Yeah, and I want to mention... Um, he was a journalist or something? He was... Or a police He, he was an investigator. He was an investigator. He was an investigator. Yeah, and then they slowly started making him think that he was crazy, I think, um, until it actually worked. And then there was another one that came out recently that I never saw, but I always wanted to. Like a similar concept? kind of i mean it was like you were in an asylum and you never knew if what you were seeing was a delusion or if it was real um i'm trying to remember the name of it let me google it i mean obviously there's that other movie grave encounters which is like if you're just looking for a fun horror movie yeah grave encounters is a great asylum one um that doesn't go deep into how fucked up asylums are so that's just a fun horror movie i haven't seen that movie you haven't seen grave encounters It would actually scare you. Like, it was one of those movies that I watched because I was like, this looks dumb, but I just want to watch a scary movie, but I don't actually want to be scared, so I'll just put this on because it looks dumb and entertaining. And I got, I think it was probably like 25% of the way into that movie thinking it was dumb, 
And then every scene past that, I was horrified. It was very scary. There were jump scares. There were regular scares. It was just a good film all around. And I recommend it to anybody who likes, uh, you know, uh, what is it called? Film it yourself horror, handheld horror. Oh, oh, uh, found footage. Found footage horror. Yeah, it's definitely one of the better ones out there. Thank you guys so much for listening to Awful Asylums. Um, I hope you learned a thing or two here today. My cat is bumping up against this. Calcifer is being a big derpy boy, and he's just bumping up against the desk a bunch. That's so what he does. The fact there's a bunch of bump noises. He's just kind of ramming his head into Calcifer the derp. <laughs> but anyways, um, thank you so much for listening. I don't know what our topic is next week, but keep it creepy, y'all. Keep it creepy. We'll figure it out like we always do. Music by freestockmusic.com. For blog posts showing visuals for each episode, you can find our blog at cotmpodcast.com. If you'd like to help support us and receive discounts and loyalty rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash coronamacabre. We record every episode live Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash thetigerwizard. If you can't find us on your favorite podcast app or site, please let us know and we'll fix that. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates on episodes, blog posts, and special events. And don't forget, keep it creepy.